1: Welcome to Nightlight, everybody. Glad to have you here. Have to thank first Ken Quiethawk for that great intro. He is one of the few remaining real, authentic Native storytellers around, and he and his wife have an amazing website called NativeStorytellers.com. Check it out because he has amazing material and to be schooled by, by the ancients is, is always a pleasure, and it's very exciting to have it happen. So Mark has terrific guests on tonight. I am so looking forward to both of his guests. He manages to pull in the most eclectic and fascinating people around and never ceases to amaze me the way he weaves people together and gets such a great fit to educate, enlighten, and entertain us. Mark, how are you tonight? Oh, I'm doing fine. How are you? Doing well. Good. Don't have a voice yeah. for a
2: while. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, uh, that's a yeah nice uh, euphemism for saying that uh, there are a lot of times I, I bring no continuity whatsoever to <laughs> our sh- our shows, <laughs> but uh, we still make it work.
1: Oh yeah, I you, you know somehow there's always a connecting thread, albeit a small one. But there's always that connection <laughs> there that you can segue into the next person, and and it really it makes for a very diverse and um, colorful combination of people for sure. And you've got two great guests tonight. I'm looking so forward to them.
2: Oh yeah, uh, we're uh, we're going to have fun. Just hope everyone just sits, sits back and enjoys the show for the next uh, couple hours and uh-huh. you know, those listening on the archives uh, will have uh, you know, uh, a good two hours uh, you know, to listen as they drive into work and uh, you know, I think we also need to uh, do a couple updates I um, just wanted to thank judy johnson for including us in the aaps newsletter that recapped their october conference um,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and we hope we can help in upcoming years you know so t- thank you judy and you know, it's been <clears throat> a nice reciprocal uh collaborate collaboration over the last couple years uh let's see what else is there Yeah, you know, we have a lot of uh guests lined up for the remainder of the year. Um although I've been here for a short time. You know, we'll finish the year strong. Uh but you know, keep keep checking you know, Barbara long dot com uh for what we're gonna be doing. I think was it next week there were like three shows um, Yeah there are tonight. three
1: shows next week.
2: Yeah, uh, I Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. All, all three are going to be fascinating looks at uh, prehistory. You know, tonight's show is on Wednesday instead of Tuesday because of you know, the elections. Um, uh, Gary Wayne <clears throat> is going to be with us on Thursday, the 29th. So just uh, we have. A lot of things going on with you know just people's holiday schedules and things like that. So uh, just you, you know we have good stuff lined up. Just it's going to we be We do, and, and,
1: and for those who um, actually don't get the chance to hear the show when it's live, um, it is on the YouTube channel. And I something that I keep forgetting to ask people to do: um, if you do go onto the YouTube channel and all the shows do. They are posted on the YouTube channel the next day, sometime during the next day. Um, if you enjoy the shows, uh, click follow so that you can follow the show so that you're notified when a new one goes up. Because they they really they don't go up on a regular basis. They they go up when when I get them up, um, and it helps us a lot if you follow us so that it gives us an idea that you know you like the work that we're doing. Okay. And oh, cool. if you want to check out just Mark's shows, if you go to the playlist, um, he has a playlist there of just the shows that 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 Mark has put together. So, um, it it uh, no matter what you do, follow the show, please.
2: Okay, and you know just um, as a, as a final note, you know, uh, um, you know, I think you know the first you know, like maybe the. Slim thread of continuity is based on Jay's call from last last week, and you know he's talking about I think, so many movies and shows, TV shows, radio shows, yeah, just like a, a lot of you know rehash. And um, you know we are trying to bring a variety of guests. Yeah, uh, you know, there might be some overlap in topics, but, you know, we are encouraging a variety of uh, points of view, and, you know, the similarity between both guests is, you know, we are going to you know, get into discussing, you know, the, their creative process as well and what makes them unique from so many other, you know, people on the lecture circuit, so, yeah, you know, Jay gave us a a really good idea in this one to um, thank him. So uh, so we might as well get to our uh, first guest after that lengthy ramble. Um, Brent Rains is the editor of Alternate Perceptions magazine. He's a researcher into paranormal activities, author of Visitors from Hidden Realms and the soon-to-be-published biography of John Keel. So w- welcome, Brent. How are you?
3: Hey, I'm doing fine, Mark. Thank you very much. And uh, thank you, Barbara. I've enjoyed talking with the both of you prior to tonight's program. So I'm honored and, and uh, uh, happy to be here.
2: Cool. Yeah, we're, uh, we are glad you're here. So uh, uh, we just, we just had as our first show was like two months ago, you know, the Mothman Museum and, uh, you know, uh, know, with Jeff Walmsley and Mm -hmm. Nick Redfern was a second hour guest talking about what he thinks the Mothman is, uh, uh, interdimensional traveler, um, cryptid, you know, it's uh, a really fascinating subject, but, uh, you know, you you know, are about ready to publish your biography of John keel, so he you know wrote the mothman prophecies you, you know uh, when is the book coming out, and what is the title for everyone to look for once it hits the shelves?
3: okay well, it should come out in the spring of two thousand nineteen um and It's um, the title will be John A. Keel: The Man, Miss, and and, uh, Man, Miss, and Mysteries. It's that's the tentative title right now. Between now and actually going into print, you know, there could be some variation, but that's what we're working with right now. And uh, it'll be pot bibliographical about you know John Keel and his early life and all the way through uh his career and uh, it uh reviews you know the unique theories and investigative work research that he did uh during the time that he tackled the u f o phenomenon as well as um you know his the interests that uh actually evolved early in his life and uh, similar areas that uh made him really a an ideal candidate i think for Presenting the the uh, the kind of unique and for some people in the, the UFO field, kind of shook him up because it was so different from what they were used to hearing. But uh, I think that uh, his alternative approach and and ideas were and are still really uh, needed. And since you know, um, oh, I think that when his the movie version. Uh, which wasn't really the same as the the book itself, but uh, by the same title, The the Mothman Prophecies came out, I think, in 2003 as a movie. And uh, it was uh, something that uh, suddenly John Keel's name came back up. Even Art Bell, it seems, wasn't wasn't aware of John Keel. He had all these guests on about UFOs and such and and wasn't even aware of John Keel's... uh, uh, investigations and, and the the Moss man situation so um recently i think need to remember remember Keel and um if if you don't care i'll I'll give a little a little background on him sure um okay well he he was born actually uh march 25th 1930 in hornell new york and uh he uh, he actually was always interested in writing. Uh, from an early age, he became like, he described himself as a reading machine, which his father was uh, as an avid reader as well. And his interest early on was in magic, uh, Houdini-type stuff, sleight of hand. And uh, he also uh, enjoyed humor, science, travel, and, and aviation. And... Uh, He was writing a local newspaper column uh, in Perry, New York, for the Perry Herald back when he was about 14, and he wrote this weekly column called Scraping the Keel, and he made uh, all of $2 a week, and uh, I guess that was, you know, a lot of money back then maybe. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) when he reached the age of 17, he... uh, he started hitchhiking his way to New York City. He wanted to make his mark in the writing world and uh he only had seventy five cents in his pockets but he uh he did well he did make his mark um, He later appeared on you know shows like Johnny Carson jack Parr david Letterman and a lot of people assumed you know he he was even at one time a uh, science editor for Funk and Wagnall Encyclopedia, and he uh, incredibly never actually finished high school. Uh, He received two honorary uh, PhDs in herpetology and archaeology. Um, He wrote uh, scripts for TV and radio shows and was a screenwriter for different uh, television programs. And uh, he was a head writer for uh, celebrities like Merv Griffin, Gene Rayburn and uh and as a magician he was very well known and respected uh the uh it was one person you can check his website uh Ben Robinson who the New York Times calls a master magician and uh if you go to www.illusiongenius.com um you know he's got an article about Keel in there and how he wrote the book uh, that was published in nineteen fifty seven, Jadu, that describes his uh time that he spent in Egypt and Iraq and India and, and uh ended up in Singapore, a lot of times on foot or just catching a ride somewhere and, and uh best he could and and he was often financing his trip uh just by writing articles as he went along and Uh, He had some real, you know, it was a really risky way of of doing it, but uh, he had no other way of, this was his goal, his ambition, and he was interested in archaeological things, he hung around the pyramids, he uh, uh, went to ancient temples, and he studied people who were you know, supposed to be uh, magicians, uh, holy men, and uh, he learned a lot of the tricks, the Indian rope trick and other things. But at the same time, while he was traveling in these places, he also encountered uh, people who had gifts that he just couldn't explain. So he he uh, came to realize that, you know, there were unexplained phenomena out there, and even at a young age, he had, uh, you know, was... When he was a child, uh, he lived on a farm in New York where there was a poltergeist activity and there'd be wrappings on the wall and he'd rap back, try to communicate with it. Uh, And when he was 18, living in a room just off of Times Square, he said that his room became filled with this uh, unusual, indescribable light and he was flooded with a torrent of information in his head. And then... The next morning, uh, it was all just about gone, but he, you know, felt that something was downloaded in his unconscious mind, and uh, he often felt, as he was growing up, too, that uh, he had certain abilities to, uh, as some people do, to perhaps interact with what are called elementals or some kind of, of spirits that uh I often referred to as elementals, and as an adolescent, he felt he had this ability, and, and then he redirected it, studying physics and, and chemistry. So his mind was constantly active in many different areas, and uh, and uh, then he went into the, the army in the fifties during the Korean War, and he ended up as a as a reporter over in Germany. He spent. Uh, a night doing a live broadcast from inside the Giza Pyramid and uh, also at a broadcast from Frankenstein's castle in Germany. And, you know, uh, just kind of an unusual guy with a lot of unusual interest who pursued (laughs) um, a lot of things a lot of us just wish we could, you know, get out there and do. (laughs) Are
2: are those recordings still uh, available
3: some of them are actually on YouTube. Uh there is one of him uh poking around a a pyramid and uh some uh some Egyptians who were uh trying to catch a cobra, I believe. And uh his uh the love of his life at the time, a uh, picture of her, uh, a girl from uh Germany who uh, you know met with him when he was uh In Egypt, and they spent some time together. But uh, before the money ran out, he was, you know, kept waiting for a check to come from a magazine editor, and things were getting kind of bleak. So he had to put her on a on a boat back to Germany before completely run out, because he didn't know (laughs) what he was going to do financially. He was scraping the bottom of the barrel, and uh, but you know, finally a check did come in, and he after his book was sold they got together again over in Spain. Um and then um they were thinking I think of getting married but then he took her to New York City for about two weeks and uh um she just didn't like it, New York City and, and that was the end of it. <laughs> okay. It, so <laughs> terrible. It, it, I don't think he ever what? got married. <laughs>
2: Okay, and when I was at the Mothman Festival your uh colleague Steve Ward did a lecture on Keel and he said that um uh Keel wrote some of the episodes of Lost in Space did is mm-hmm. that uh true Yeah
3: I've I've read I think I um uh Doug Skinner who was uh Keel's friend from uh 1990 up until his passing had uh posted a a a pretty detailed biography of of uh Keel he was uh not only lost in space but the monkeys and uh get smart for those who remember <laughs> those shows
1: <laughs> he was I, I of remember the them.
3: Screenwriters. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I do too <laughs> And he God. financed his, you know, back about 1966, he spent about three years uh, going full-time into uh, studying the UFO phenomenon. And uh, and that was at that time he had made a, a real good book sale. He wrote a uh, spy and superhero spoof novel called The Fickle Finger of Fate, which I think probably laughing back at that time probably helped him with the title. but <laughs> That was in 1966. <laughs> he sold over... 800,000 copies. And uh, that, you know, put some money in his pocket and he uh, started writing magazine articles about, uh, you know, his investigations into UFO and paranormal phenomena. He saw a lot of interconnections that a lot of the uh, the mainstream uh, nuts and bolts crowd were rather uh, shocked at. You know, like, oh, come on, this, this can't be, you know. <laughs> but, uh, and but uh it took a while, but eventually a lot of people uh realized that uh he was onto something and uh uh how he got involved with the Moss man, he made a total of five lengthy visits to that area, Point Pleasant West Virginia, which is right along the Ohio and right across i mean the Ohio River and right across from ohio itself uh southern ohio and uh he had been down there originally, because uh, he liked unusual stories, investigating a report of, uh, and I think this has been some years earlier, of a family that had a cat that had these appendages that kind of looked like wings. Uh, you know, that had some kind of a weird birth defect. And he was down there studying it when the story of uh, two teenage couples in the, uh, the old TNT plant area... Uh, just a few miles north of Point Pleasant, off of, uh, I think it was the 60, 62 Route 62. And this used to be an old ammunition manufacturing uh, uh, plant back in uh, World War II. And they have all these, what they call igloos, these concrete uh, bunkers that kind of look like Indian mounds, Dina Indian mounds, and they would store uh, ammunition in these uh, these buildings. And uh anyway they saw this uh very tall figure suddenly appear with glowing red eyes and uh had wings and they all got very scared of course and got in their car and started hitting for Point Pleasant and this thing came right over the top of their vehicle and they said they could see the wings flapping on on one side, a wing on one side, flat down and up, and then also on the other side of the car. And according to the driver, a young man named Roger Skyberry, um he was at, at some points going about 100 miles an hour, and it's a pretty rough road. <laughs> and uh, they got into Point Pleasant went straight to a police station and uh, reported their encounter. And uh, that's how it all began. And then Keel continued to investigate and found there were lots of similar sightings of uh, Birdman, as they called it, or whatever, and as well as uh, other strange monsters or uh, Bigfoot and, and so on. And uh, he noticed a pattern that many many of the experiences. Also, uh, about half of the these witnesses um, had latent uh, psychic abilities as well. Just as you come across with, you know, UFO close encounters and contact encounters, many times afterwards, uh, people report that they have an increase in psychic ability, precognition, uh, uh, or you know, telepathy, different. Uh, you know, just different psychic abilities. Sometimes even psychokinesis, like Uri Geller. Um, Uri Geller, you know, the Israeli psychic magician. He claimed that it was an early childhood encounter he had with a uh, object and a beam of light that he was struck by. And, and uh, there were a lot of psychic elements in his story that, that Dr. Andrea Piharich from America went over and and studied him, and then brought him to uh, to the U.S. and England and places and was studied in, in different labs. But uh, anyway the uh one of the things that I, I discovered in and working on this was that uh there was one story that, that Keel had left out um what and was that? I was well it's uh it was the fact, you know, he was he was watching the TV set at his apartment in New York City because he felt that something major was going to happen. It was going to be a power outage. He'd been hearing about some kind of disaster along the Ohio River. People were having all these precognitive impressions. And December fifteenth, 1967, loomed on the horizon as being something major was going to happen. And he wasn't sure exactly what, but uh, it was that evening as he's watching television in his apartment and he had a uh, you know some guests there in his his apartment and suddenly a, a news story came on about a bridge collapsing on the Ohio River and he realized oh no that's got to be the one at Point Pleasant and he wasn't able to get through uh, right off because you know there was uh, the power outage and, and uh there were so many calls being made. and But the thing was um, that he never wrote in Man Prophecies because he said it would have been too anticlimactic, is what he told a friend. But um, And I found out there were others that he, he told the story to, but I actually was in touch with a, a guy that was there in the apartment that evening. And it seemed this, this guy turned up early afternoon and... Uh, parted company nearly midnight and uh, Keel would say that uh, you know remember that this guy had uh, all of his friends memories looked exactly like him he had been this guy's best man at his wedding in 1950 and you know he hadn't seen the guy in several years but uh, he suddenly showed up at his door and uh, and so he was you know, Keel said one of the most uh, important days in his life, you know, when he kind of was putting all this stuff together, that uh, these people in Point Pleasant have been having these dreams about a disaster on the Ohio River. He's focusing on December fifteenth, 1967, and then uh, his friend shows up. Well, he didn't realize till later when he met uh, this friend's wife at Macy's uh, that uh, – he said i just you know i saw your your husband and and uh you know how's he doing and she says well he died of a heart attack uh in July 1965 which would have been over 2 years before he showed up at his apartment and uh you know for keel who had been a lifelong atheist and he admitted to some that to some that he would sometimes try to sort of be an agnostic just in case you know and um, <laughs> but this was <laughs> but this was pretty disturbing uh, he had told uh, a couple of guys that I've been in touch with who are are most always at the Mothman festival uh, I think they're always there uh um, and that would be the the Frick brothers um uh, john and and Tim, and they told me that uh they talked to keel. When he visited there in 2003, uh, they spent about eight hours with him and asked him a bunch of questions. And he mentioned about uh, this experience. And uh, they were excited, and one of them said, you know, well, how do you feel about that? And he says that, Teal uh, said, it hurts my brain to actually think about that. <laughs> and, you know, he was quite, quite disturbed by it. It caused him... Uh, a number of sleepless nights. And he, you know, he was of the opinion that a lot of these things could masquerade themselves kind of, you know, in shamanism they we call shapeshift and they could take various, various forms, various appearances. So um, his first thought was that these were simply, uh, you know, some form that disguised itself uh, rather than literally being his friends. But then again, you know, um, uh, I'm open to that possibility too. I know that keel would uh talk about how these ultra terrestrials he calls them because he built- he believed they come from a parallel world right here from our own world, but just in another dimension or another part of the electromagnetic spectrum that we're not normally we don't normally have access to, and that um and so that they could also imitate voices and, and appear whatever form they wanted to take and uh, and I know that after he passed away uh, I was introduced by a an abductee who had experiences with aliens and ghosts going back to age five um, he introduced me to the spirit box and I, I wasn't all that excited you know the ghost box but um, it uh he claimed he could get EVPs, electronic voice phenomena, through, through this means. And I had attempted to do this kind of thing years earlier and hadn't really had too much. Um, I did a session with him. We were in this uh, basement of a haunted, an old haunted, uh, supposedly haunted. They'd been hearing footsteps and such, uh inside this building and it was been used as an art center. It used to be a church and it was like a hundred years old. And and I didn't initially hear anything, but I was thinking about how I wanted to contact John Keel because he had passed away a few months earlier. And uh, I didn't think I heard anything, but then months later I was reviewing that audio and at the part where this abductee friend was saying, you know, because he was also a ghost hunter, um, seeing if uh, my wife's deceased brother could say his name before we, you know, shut down the session. And uh, uh, there's a voice that says, Keel, Johnny. And then there's like uh, a couple of guys arguing. And I asked my wife, does that one of those guys sound like your brother and she listened to the headphones and said, "Yeah, it does." And and then on uh, on some other investigation, another investigation, we did get John Keel twice, and some some things that John Keel, you know, we expected he would have said. But the real clincher was uh, July third, uh, two thousand ten. It was exactly the one year, you know, anniversary of Keel's passing. And uh, we decided, you know, I I asked everybody, you know, I knew they were going to try to contact spirits. I said, can I go ahead and try to contact John Keel? He passed away exactly one year tonight. And that was the night that I became convinced that we definitely had something paranormal going on because it wasn't long as as Brett was asking, Brett Oldham, who was the the abductee who introduced me to this process, asked, uh, you know, his guide, can you have John Keel say his name? And within a second or two, this voice clearly says, and we recorded it, uh, I think on three recorders, um, John Keel. It was a male voice. And uh, and then at another point, he asked, can you tell us what you now know about Bigfoot? And this strong male voice comes on and says, Smuck Bigfoot, see, and so I asked, you know, about Jadu, which was the name of his book back in 57, where he traveled around Egypt and Indian places. And it, Jadu meant black magic, by the way, and over there in the east. And he, uh, it uh, was a strong male voice and uh, said, uh Jadu, eh? And I was, you know, startled. And I, I know Brett asked, was that, uh, did he say it? And Sandy Nichols, whose home we were in at the time, he was also an abductee, and he said, yes. So I'm thinking, okay, strike the iron while it's hot. And uh, I said, yes, says, uh, what can you tell us about Jadu, you know? And he says, into the fire, into the fire. And then he kind of fades out. don't know what he's saying, but you can tell he's still talking, his voice. And then he comes back, teach me outside. And, you know, that was about it. But uh, I, I thought, you know, well, <laughs> you're talking black magic, I'd say that kind of into the fire. And then uh, certainly Keel, he was, uh, you know, always reading, reading, reading. It was a reading machine, as he said. But his greatest pleasure was to be learning things in the outside world, to be, you know, on some adventure somewhere like, you know, Egypt or India or Pacific Islands or someplace, you know. So I thought that kind of fit too. Can not be sure, but anyway, that night we tried. uh, Later on we did a second session, and uh, I wanted to really nail this down, and this began our practice of something that led into other, nights where we did this, too, and and, and and got results. And what I'd do is uh, I would point to a, a word or write something down on a paper and or, you know, an index card, and what word is this? And uh, we had the experience of actually getting the word, you know, that we were pointing at. And uh, so there was no doubt in my mind, I've even done it here now at... Uh, our own house with uh you know the, the same equipment uh it's a you know uh call it a ghost box or a spirit box it's uh, based on the frank's box but in, in our case it's just a uh digital am fm radio that we leave on continuous scan and uh you ask questions and we we've used different uh ask for guides and we get names uh they would come through, and so they they appear uh just about every time we do a session we get these same names, and you know we'll ask who's there and and uh we'll get uh Bishop and philip <laughs> and uh so anyway, uh no questions yet. <laughs> no, keep going. Right. this is great all right um, anyway i I went to Point Pleasant initially almost. Ten years after all this began, uh, with some uh, people who were like cryptozoologists from the Cincinnati area and uh, and i I spoke with a Virginia Thomas while I was there who described how, on November second of nineteen sixty seven she had had uh, an experience with a uh, a kind of a being that was shaped like a man. It was just, it was starting to get uh, stormy out. She went outside to cover up some motorcycles uh, and, and lived in the, the area of the TNT plant. Her husband worked there as uh, maintenance or something. And so they, they had a house there. And suddenly she sees this man like figure, says running like lightning out across the field. And it was kind of like making a noise like a fan belt on a car. And as she looked at it, she said, her ears started popping and the thing took over her thinking and she couldn't take her eyes off it. And, uh, you know, it kind of associated it with the Mothman, man, but it was a very peculiar experience. And, uh, Keel had documented two other cases where people had seen Mothman man creature and it made kind of like a humming sound. So these, uh, you know, she even came to think that maybe what she had seen was some kind of a robot and uh there was one guy who uh stepped outside of his uh out the front door one night and out on his lawn staring at him was one of these creatures and he was like in trance for about twenty minutes, couldn't move and finally it disappeared, and he could move again, and he went inside and and his wife's there watching t v totally oblivious to what her husband had you know just experienced um i got to meet the uh uh Linda Skyberry who had been uh married to uh Roger Scarberry, who was the driver that night on November 15th 1966 when they drove the his 57 Chevy out of there after seeing the creature and and being followed by it and um, they uh they had a lot of very strange things Happened to him, a poltergeist type things, strange noises, a door opening shut by itself, and uh, odors, couldn't explain, and and Keel kept running into a lot of this. He published his initial findings uh, like back in 1968, 69, and into the early 70s. In fact, there was a a uh, special issue of the flying saucer review, which even Heineck, uh regarded as very very important journal in the uFO phenomena over in london england and they uh, the editors of this magazine had been going on since the 1950s and um, it continued on into just a few years ago, but they they had writers from all over the world who would contribute case studies and uh, keel had presented a lot of his stories materials and and one was uh beyond ufos which was a special edition uh that he was largely responsible for writing different articles and bringing other people uh forward who had uh these uh, material regarding ufo and paranormal elements combined and uh and at one time in the 1970s and um, thinking maybe 78, uh, he, was, he was being interviewed by uh, Timothy Green Beckley, a well-known researcher and publisher in, in New, New Jersey. And uh, he was pointing out how in the beginning there was so much skepticism aimed at many of the leaders and, and people in the, in the UFO field uh, about his findings about these psychic occurrences that were happening to experiences, they were focused mainly on on the nuts and bolts ideas of of uh, these encounters as spaceships. And Keel was saying, "No, you know, there's a lot of events that are being swept under the rug or, or ignored, and involve these psychic elements." And he even had uh, cases of uh, what he called the bedroom invaders, where people were reporting these beings appearing at their bedsides and, and uh, uh, shadow figures and, and, and such. And uh, he, uh, so anyway, Tim Beckley says, it looks like after all this time you're vindicated and uh, you've, uh, you know, should take some comfort and in, in some uh, some kind of pleasure in, in realizing that uh, you've made your case. And Keel replied, uh, not really, he said it's a hollow victory. That uh, you know, it's only really made the the matter more complicated, <laughs> and uh, you know, needs to be really seriously examined. Um, so, this is kind of a the terrain, the landscape that I am exploring in in uh, in my book, and uh, all these different different cases, even religious phenomena that that uh Keel and others like Jacques Vallée have, have studied like uh Fatima Portugal back in 1917 and those uh young children who saw the virgin Mary and all the UFO type elements that went into that case and other Marian apparition uh events through the years and uh also I detail the uh, uh a tremendous uh religious revival Over in wales back in 1904 and 05 uh in which there were all these ufo lights and uh strange phenomena the there was one woman named mary jones she was a young 38 year old Welsh woman who was having these these visions and she was uh this guy from a london newspaper you know came to her home and uh she was supposed to go to a revival, some church nearby, and uh, he uh, he noticed that she said, well, we're just going to have to wait. It's not time yet. And then these lights appeared outside in the sky, and she says, okay, that's our sign. It's time to go. It's going to be a good night. <laughs> and he said on the way they had several displays of these lights, uh, but in two of them, uh, you know, they – There were five of them walking together, and uh, there were two times that he and this Miss Jones saw these lights and the other people didn't. And uh, this is something Keel writes about, the subjective occurrences. And and I've been finding cases of this. It just makes it all the more complicated. It's like certain people have, um, they're wired differently. They can see certain things that other people can't. and I know that I was reading something back in the mid-70s. Uh, Jacques Vallee and and Dr. Jalen Hynek were talking about the UFO phenomenon. They were talking about the psychic phenomena, and Hynek made the distinction that, well, the cases he knew of of, of, of UFOs, if one person sees it, they all see it. But I, I don't think that's necessarily true. Uh, I just talked with a MUFON uh, uh, state director here in Tennessee uh, who uh, – described to me one of her cases that convinced her that these things were a little more complicated, that uh, she had a case where there were 12 people on a beach and suddenly four of the people started, you know, getting all excited and jumping up and down. Look at that huge craft out over the water. And try as they might, the other eight people couldn't. And when um, Swiss psychologist Carl Jung was uh, grappling with what are UFOs back in uh, the late 1950s, the last book he wrote was... On the subject of UFOs, uh, he described an experience he had with uh, when he was with four other people, and there were there was a a medium at a seance, and they were seeing this globe of light over the guy's stomach. They four of those people could see it clearly, and yet uh, Doctor Young, you know, had to admit I don't see a thing, and they were. Expressing how they were very puzzled that uh he couldn't observe this and and uh dr. Young wrote that uh, he had come across other instances of this and didn't know how to explain it, but he called it psychoid it was he said it exists somewhere between matter and uh mind <laughs> a reality between matter and mind um not that that helps us to <laughs> but uh In the 1970s, there was a Jenny Reynolds, a ufologist over in England, who noticed um, instances where people seem to be like in a reality bubble, uh, removed from normal consensus reality during their encounters. She called it the Oz effect or Oz factor. And uh, what might happen is someone is driving along a road that normally is busy, lots of traffic, and suddenly it's like they're isolated and alone, and then this craft appears and lands beside the road. Maybe there's a beam that gets out. And I've had a number of people here in the United States describe this. And to add high strangeness upon high strangeness, I've had um, people tell about seeing like a large craft travel, you know, very close to their car sliding into a, a, a hillside. Um, you know, a cylindrical craft with windows on it, it looked like, or or a being walked by them that was partly physical and partly transparent and then just disappeared completely as it uh, walked by them. Um, And people who have uh, put their arms up in front of them when they saw a ball of light or something, and suddenly their hand disappears, you know. So... There's areas I think to discuss about you know and in, in study on the UFO phenomenon that don't normally get mentioned. Uh, generally, the um, I know there's a lot of talk about disclosure and, and getting to the truth, but a lot of times we we censor the reports within the UFO community ourselves because well this is too strange. We're just interested in the nuts and bolts, and and uh, um, a lot of times. I know they, they had, like, Bud Hopkins back in the 80s who, uh, you know, had written The Intruders and was about abductees, and he'd had these support group meetings, and, and, and this comes from John Keel. He claimed that uh, he'd spoken with uh, Bud Hopkins about his work and tried to get him interested in, in things. He said if someone mentioned poltergeist within the group, he'd say we don't talk about that here. You know, they'd had a poltergeist experience, and uh, and yet if they said they had a dream about some kind of strange being, then he'd pursue that, you know, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. under progressive hypnosis. And, and he said, you know, he tried to interest uh, Bud Hopkins in becoming more educated about the hypnotic process because really he he was an artist by profession, and uh, had gotten interested in in uh, you know, the UFO phenomenon and that there was missing time. And so he was trying to, uh, and successfully having these, you know, hypnotic regressions, even though he was not apparently that, you know, really trained in in the subject. He had just, uh, gotten some instructions, maybe read one book and was off and running, it seems. So, um, anyway, that is in a, in a nutshell, which I just kind of cracked open there. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, what the book uh, is about. <laughs> All
2: right. Well, uh, well, Brian, we have when, like. T- oh, go, go, go ahead, Barbara.
1: Yeah, I, I did. I did want to mention that um, I was at a UFO sighting in Michigan. I, I told you earlier in in the mm-hmm, '60s, yeah. and it, it, one did actually land on the campus. And what was fascinating to me was. Um, I was in, they they locked the girls in the dorm, so at 11 o'clock, because, you know, bad things happen after 11, but not before. And um, <laughs> there were whole bunches of us that didn't see it land, but did see it when they put the stadium lights came on. We saw it rise up and swoop over the dorm. I was in a large group of people. I saw it. Um, there were mm-hmm. a couple of people that saw it and were terrified and were literally had breakdowns, and there were others that didn't see it at all, and it blacked out the damn sky. So how you could miss it was beyond me, but but it it I I think it has to a degree also a level of consciousness and and awareness and willingness to go outside the box because. I, I didn't feel scared. I just I, I was fascinated. I kind of wanted to, you know. We didn't have cameras that were that accessible at that time. And by the time you reached for one, it was gone. But, um, yeah, I've 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 been in a group of people where some people saw it, some people didn't, some people were terrified. So, Uh-oh. but I'm sorry, I'm okay. sorry, Mark, I jumped on you. <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's alright. Well, I, 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 I just wanted. Uh, you know, let brent know okay we we have like seven minutes left, and you know if uh people like you know the case studies that uh you know you were just talking about you know, they they can read more in you know the magazine you edit uh, alternate perceptions uh, can can you tell us a little bit about that magazine, sure. you know, what's the sure. general um, idea behind mm-hmm. it? How, how do you get, you know, uh, you know how, how would a okay. uh, writer get their works into your magazine?
3: Well, if they, you know, they have any interest in in, uh, in that subject and, and they have something that they'd like to investigate and write for us, uh, research, or uh, if they've had any experiences, we're always open to submissions and uh, the length of it doesn't really matter because we've got plenty of space. Uh, we we post a new issue monthly on the first of each month, and it uh, goes into archive after that so people can you know, look back uh, for years and years prior and, and, and read a lot of material uh, and interviews that we've done previously. Um, I have a regular column I call Reality Check, where I go through all these kind of high strangeness things or, Whatever, and just kind of question what does this mean? what does that mean and uh then we have uh interview features, and uh, some are print interviews, some are audio and uh, and we have freelance submissions and uh, Dr. Greg Little, who's been with me uh, with this magazine project uh since nineteen eighty five uh, when i when I began this um, originally it was just a simple little like four page Xerox copy uh, newsletter that would mail out in the days before internet, and it was called Parapsychology Forum. But we eventually decided together that we wanted, you know, we already think a lot of things are interrelated anyway, and, and we're just interested in a lot of unusual areas anyway, and, and uh, so we called it Alternate Perceptions. And Gregorquist, as you know, is uh, uh, very interested in in sacred sites, Indian sites, Indian mounds, uh, earthworks, uh, mm-hmm. or the native American or other parts of the world. And he's written an encyclopedia, uh, on all such sites across the U S. So, um, that's something that we're, we have a mutual interest in, but he's a lot deeper into it than I, I, uh, I've ever been. <laughs> and, uh, in fact, deeper than a lot of archaeologists have ever been, I think, <laughs> but, uh, Anyway, um, all we got to do is go to apmagazine.info or Google Alternate Perceptions, and uh, ta-da, there it will be. We we actually used to have uh, a uh, print version that was up to like fifty six, fifty eight pages with color cover. It was really slick. We were uh, we were hoping to go places with it, but about two thousand. Uh, we realized that, you know, the public was getting away from the print uh, and going to digital. And so that's when we made our transition. But uh, I kind of miss the old print.
2: <laughs> yeah, it It is nice to be able to hold a book or a magazine.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. But anyway, sometimes you have to adapt with the times. And uh, certainly the digital has, you know like Bob and I were talking earlier, this worldwide audience that you can interact with. And so there's good and there's, you know, things you miss.
2: <laughs> okay. You know, uh, we're down to about three, four minutes or so. Um, let's do, do a couple, uh, ho- hopefully uh, some quick answer questions. You know, there's you know just a lot of unexplained things that just hap- happen uh, dur- during life. Uh, you know what, what? What is one answer you'd like to you know, uh, d- discover about something like the EVP? Something that's just has been unexplained well, up to this
3: point. Well, you know, Keel uh, saw them as, as, as tricksters, and uh, you know it. Um, I you know, sometimes it seems like there's a lot of hidden things, some things that are trickster like, so um yeah, it would be kinda of, kinda of neat, you know, when you have an interaction with some sort of apparent interactive intelligence. Um, you go into it with uh you know, try to be open, curious, questioning, and uh you do your best, you know, like we always Ask for protection. Say a little prayer or something uh, as a group before we do one of these sessions, and then we try to close it off afterwards, and so nobody gets followed home or anything. Um, but you know, the, the bottom line is you have to be careful with any of this because you don't really know exactly uh, what or who you're you're dealing with. You know, you have they give you identities, uh, but uh, is it really you know? what is it you know there's there's no way to remove the uh um the mask i guess to really clearly see and discern who and what you're you're dealing with in these situations um we've had no really negative experiences ourselves but i know there are people who have had some pretty pretty chilling frightening uh events that they've described so um it's just trying to discern who and what exactly is is going on that would be what I'd like to be able to to do. Okay. Uh,
2: do you? And.
3: I'll go, go ahead. Yeah, well, I just was saying I I don't know how that was how that'll be accomplished, but it's just something you know it's all part of the quest that we uh, the journey that we're all on trying to figure all this stuff out.
2: Okay. Uh, do Do you have any uh, upcoming appearances or? You
3: know, well, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, uh, where
2: did people listen to your podcasts? And, and...
3: well, yeah, we uh, we do. Uh, right now, the current issue, the November issue of Alternate Perceptions, we have four interviews, and one of them I've just initiated that I'm I'm real proud of. That uh, it's a panel discussion, uh, a panel group that comes on with me of five other people with with uh, different backgrounds, academic backgrounds in psychotherapy, biology, neuroscience, and, uh, um, uh, you know, paranormal and, and psychology. And we get guests. We just had a guest, uh, Anthony Peake, uh, a researcher and, and an author over in England who's, uh, delved deeply into the processes of the human consciousness and studied near death experiences and, uh, precognition, deja vu and, and, uh, all sorts of interesting areas. And uh, he's writing a book, uh, I think it will be his 10th, on non-human encounters, so I'm I'm looking forward to finding that. uh, He's invited me to be on his uh, Consciousness Hour podcast on April 14th of next year. So I hope to get into the Keel book at that time.
2: (laughs) Okay. Well, uh, keep us posted about when it's uh, uh, coming out and we'll have you come back on. In the spring, it's uh, just about time to bring on our uh, second guest. Um, oh, I know,
3: I know. Time has flown by for me. <laughs>
2: it, yeah, it's, it seemed like a bit, like twenty minutes, but yeah, uh, uh, you know, Brian, we'll we'll uh, keep talking. People can find you at uh, apmagazine.info. And oh right. you know, I, just want, I just want to th- thank you for. Uh, being our exciting guest for today. And uh, best of luck with the uh, Keel biography, and uh, we'll talk about it when it comes out.
3: All right. Mark, I appreciate it. Barbara, uh, thank you for having me as your guest. It's been an honor, and I've enjoyed it. And we'll be in touch. Yep. All right. You both take care. All right.
2: You too. Thank you, Brent.
3: All right. Thank you. Bye-bye
2: okay Uh, all right and okay uh, we get into the second hour now let's just say you know the whole show is dedicated to Jay for making some suggestions about being innovative Uh, since our guest is a musician I just kind of feel like Casey Kasem doing a long distance (laughs) dedication but it's yeah uh you know more more so sounding like shaggy but uh, you know uh you know one of our uh fans thinks i uh sound like a little boy, but we'll say that for another show uh Jen yes. Jen, Jen, <laughs> Jen Clark is our guest uh maybe you remember her from her band too smooth uh, Jen is a singer songwriter musician. Who has a song on YouTube entitled So Through, and through is spelled T-H-R-O-U-G-H, and is uh, nearing completing her next CD, uh, and she's also the unofficial proofreader for Night Lights Blurbs. So <laughs> welcome, Jen. How are you? Thank you.
4: <laughs> I'm good. How are you guys? Good. Oh, we're
2: doing fine. So it, good, yeah so, um, yeah, so you know you were uh, in too smooth a while ago, and, and now you're just kind of what uh you know you're the name for your band, and where, where are you, are you based out of now
4: uh so I am in the great city of Las Vegas. Um, all the bright lights and entertainment <laughs> right here okay uh, uh,
2: you know, uh where did you grow up
4: um i grew up in california um off of the central coast uh, i don't know if you guys are familiar with pismo beach but right in that area it is um it's a beautiful place if you haven't been there definitely worth visiting okay
2: it it, it is your your family, a musical family.
1: Um, you know
4: what? My mom, my mom and I actually, when you speak of um, the band Too Smooth, it was made up of my mom and I back in the nineties, and um, mm-hmm. and so yeah, she and I we did a lot of music together, um, a lot of fun. And as far as the musicians go, that that was pretty much it. Um, you know, just love doing lots of harmonies and 40s, 50s, 60s styles. Back then, we just did some covers. Um, but yes, yeah, she growing up, she always did the same, and then it kind of trickled down to me, and really enjoyed it.
2: Okay, and you know how um, you know, you know, if you manage to. Stay in the music business so long. How do you persevere? And give the audience some of your secrets.
4: You know, I think the main thing is when it's something in your heart, you can't. You just can't push it aside. You know, no matter what, um, you'll go through busy times in life, and um, you know sometimes it's harder to keep it up. But you don't. You don't ever want to quit doing what you love and you know for me there's been of course lots of things here and there that have happened as with most people but yeah I've continued writing this this entire time um I I have throughout the years um gone in the studio and recorded my songs and you know just stayed active performing and uh doing as much as I can and you just you love that part of your life it's you just gotta continue on with it
2: okay. who, who who are some of your influences
4: um you know, I will say one of my biggest let's say celebrity um influences is um is would be Johnny Cash, and I know you all are familiar mm-hmm. with him um you know just his ability to create music through his hard times so that he could relate to others and, you know, and help them not feel so alone in their worst times. You know, that is, to me, very inspiring. Um, you know, never afraid of of what someone else would say. Just go out there and do what you need to do to help others.
2: There,
0: uh,
2: and, if, and you've seen the, uh. uh w- what was the movie um about johnny Cash
4: walk the Line. yeah you know, well
2: you know what well, uh you know really that movie did give what um what, the impression of you know he 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 was a missionary Mm-hmm. Apostolistic, yeah, you know, something you know, along those lines. Yeah, you know, it's um, inspired. he's um, you know, very honest um, person. definitely. You know, um, you know, sounds like a really good role model for you.
4: Yeah, and you know, it also is the understanding and realization that, you know, none of us are perfect. He most certainly was not. He had plenty of his own things to deal with, Mm -hmm. and it was a constant battle and struggle for him, you know, and a lot of people feel that way, and so it's, um, you know, I really try to do music not only that will help people in their times of hurting or maybe inspire them to, you know what, you know, you might have gone through a hard time, but you can pick yourself up and you can get back out there and, and do it again and, you know, never give up. That's that's the biggest thing.
2: Okay. Uh, what, what's your creative process? You know, like, you know, you were mentioning, mentioning you know, Johnny Cash had you know, s- several problems, and uh let you know, uh, we talk a little bit more about so through and it's, you know that seems to be working out um when, some kind of break up uh scenario i like, you know or, you know I've heard like a, uh you know from other shows I've done. Uh, you know, people have talked about uh, journaling is a good, good way to uh, organize your thoughts and help you to see, you know, patterns of you know uh, what's kind of triggering uh, th- these, uh, um, you know, uh, negative thoughts. And you know, mm-hmm. uh, is is that you know? A, a, a way that you develop uh song lyrics or is it just like walking through the woods talking to yourself you know how, how do you write your songs
4: you know it is it's it is very healing as far as you know you're you're speaking about journaling um for me, and I think some of the the best writers that are out there are the ones that write through things that they experience because you feel it. it comes from the heart. You know, it's, it's something that they have dealt with personally. And that's what makes it more relatable. Uh, you know, for me, it just depends on really the time, whatever, whatever I'm going through at that time in my life. Um, sometimes it's more of the love songs and sometimes it's, you know, more of maybe the sadness or the heartbreak, um, that you might experience Um, for me it's you know sometimes I've been woken up in the middle of the night and I can hear the melody and I can and the words just start flowing I've gotten up and (laughs) got a a piece of paper and just started writing down the lyrics and it's really amazing how it comes Um, I know everybody is different that writes music for me that's usually what it is I could be Driving, and all of a sudden, you know, it it pops in my head. I could be taking a walk. Uh, I could be talking to someone. It just um, really no rhyme or reason at that moment. It just kind of comes in. And the worst times for me are when I'm sitting down and really trying to think of something. It doesn't usually come that way. So I can't force mm-hmm. it. It's uh, it's whenever it comes. That's that's pretty much how it works for me. And it's definitely depending on what I'm going through.
2: Okay. Did you know? Did you write with he, your mom as well?
4: You know, um, we did start to to write uh, together, and we, like I had mentioned, we had done a lot of covers, and so we were really working on getting down our harmonies together. We were a great team. It was it was so much fun. Um, and so we had started writing a couple of songs together. And um, one of them I had completed um, later on, a, years, a few years later after that. And um, you now actually it has a very 60s feel to it. Um, but, uh, yeah, so we, we had done a lot of that together, not, not as much writing. And then I just continued on the writing process. As I, as I grew in the music.
2: It, 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 you just find it's easier for you personally to just write on your own.
4: I think so. Um, in the very beginning, of course, it's all new, and so you really don't know. But yeah, as you, mm-hmm. um, really grow in yourself, you start understanding more and um, experiencing more, and and yeah, it it definitely. Uh, Seems to work a little bit better for me, as far as that goes.
2: Okay, um, when you know, uh, when you are uh, you know recording, um, you know, I'm sure you, know, you have all kinds of stuff going on in the studio, and, you know, they do, you know, uh, have a great, you know, finished product. But, um, you know, what about all all the, like, software that's available where you could almost get the same uh, finished product just, you know, playing in front of your, you know, being hooked up to your computer
4: right yeah there's well, there's so much more now there's so much more available than um really even 10 years ago um especially since the 90s when i first started uh recording um you know we still had cassette tape specs and cds were new uh, so now it's it's actually pretty amazing because you can have your computer and there are programs, um, one of them being GarageBand, um, you have specific programs at your fingertips. And, you know, you can you can start out something fairly decent to get you going. And, um, you know, if that's all you have to work with, it's not a bad start. It's definitely worth trying. Okay.
2: And yeah, do do you find that you know i've heard you know uh I think a couple friends have burn their own CDs. i do do you uh think it's almost a, the, the same quality as um what what can be done at you know like the abbey road studio you know um i th-
4: I think that you can get a good foundation with that. I think that it's somewhere to start, and it sounds pretty pretty darn good. Um, I've done some things where people had no idea, so that was, that was actually really cool. Of course, I knew what I had done, so in my mind, I'm thinking, well, you know, it's not quite as, as good quality, and others couldn't tell. So I have to say it's actually pretty good. There are lots of lots of good options. Um, and a good a good microphone as well. If you can get a good a decent microphone, you can even plug that into your computer. So there's there really are lots of options for someone who's, you know, trying to get a good idea of where they want to go with it and um, sharing it with others and you know, a lot of people you might have a songwriter um doing one portion of this and sending it to somebody in a whole other state um collaborating with them and you've got decent quality and and you can share back and forth and it's It's just amazing how far we've come with technology and the ability, ability to make things easier for us
2: okay and it's just- just interesting just uh more avenues for people to you know, get get something, you know, their, their own thing recorded and see where it takes them. It's, you know, I'm just ho- hoping people are taking some notes. Like you mentioned, like, what was it the GarageBand app?
4: Right, right. So GarageBand, and really that's not the only one there's, Plenty of them out there um, There's there's a You could just search um, And see what kind of apps there are There's so many that are user friendly They don't have to be Extremely difficult And um, it's just a good place Good place to start learning And um, You know anything Anything helps So I think There's um, It gives you a possibility Or an option to help you out and doing doing what you love then it's it's definitely worth a shot don't rule anything out okay
2: and you know you know we you you know we had a uh talk before the or you know you know we or communicating before the show that you know we have to you know watch what you know we put on blog talk because we you know we you know have some you know, copyright problems, but, you know, if people go to, um, you know, YouTube, you know, they can find, and, you know, we're going to have links on, on the archive um, uh, or, or show tomorrow. It, it, it's, it, you know, you can go to uh, YouTube, you know, t- type in Jen Clark, J-E-N-N-C-L-A-R-K, and, you know, you, they can listen to so through that they're and it, you know you do have it, you know one of the interesting aspects of um, you know your uh, song is you know like the uh, what is it like the voice distortion and the echoing mm-hmm. uh in, in there you know what is like the, the the symbolism, you know, what kind of effect did you want to create by using uh, the, those like special effects at, at you know at the beginning of the song?
4: You know, it's just it gives it something different, um, and it's more impactful. I feel you don't. One of the things with being creative is you're you're not trying to be everybody. That's already out there, everybody has a great quality, and that's what makes them special you know and i it's just my style it's it's what I like and and impactful to me, and hoping that it would carry on to somebody you know who's listening to it, so it's just um just a different style oh
2: it it, it you know, it, it kind of gives it gives a listener an idea that you know, like echoes from the past, kind of reemerge at you know, different times, and is you know, going through an un- unpleasant experience. Mm-hmm. It, was, yeah. it was a neat effect. You know, did it, like did did you uh, like when you were growing up? Did, did you listen to like? Uh, some of Wendy Carlos's uh, like voice distortion thing, uh, that she had in some of her songs.
4: I don't think
2: so. Oh, okay. What were some I of just, the songs? <laughs> I just I, I just wondered if uh, you know, she, she just had uh, any, any influence on. Uh, she seemed to be you know, kind of like a pioneer now. Just it—it it, it was a neat effect. That's, That's very
4: cool. Yeah, no, but I, now I'm gonna look it up and see so that I can see this connection here. <laughs> yeah,
2: you, know, you, know, you find it in a lot of uh, the, the uh, songs uh, she did on the uh, for the Clockwork Orange soundtrack.
1: Okay. You're dating yourself, Mark. No, it's
2: but it's a timeless movie. I you know, just I,
1: it, it is. You're it, absolutely right. <laughs>
2: but it, Uh how uh close are you to being done with the CD?
4: I am I am over halfway um getting closer and closer each day. I'm um, working on the very last few songs and I am hoping that we can have this album put together uh by the beginning of next year and get it released so that we can uh, start putting it out there um, in all the different uh, you know YouTube and Spotify and, and all those good uh sources and um you know we uh, I'll be posting updates as well and be happy to update you guys um, as soon as this album is released, and and maybe we can discuss it again at that point.
1: Okay,
2: sounds it, sounds good. You know, we still want to have you, and you know, uh, we'll get to your mentor
0: <laughs>
2: uh, yes. here here in a second. But um, are are you planning on touring after? Uh,
4: I I yes yes that's that's the hope of um once this is released, it's one step at a time, and that's of course my focus as of right now is getting everything prepared so that I have the ability to tour with it and uh and then perform these these songs that I've got okay
2: and, and you, know, y- you were uh- mentor is hopefully going to be uh, a guest with us in like February or so once his uh, new compilation of Space Rock is um, uh, released. But you, know, you have been uh, uh, working with Merle Fankhauser for a number of years. But um, you know, Merle is the original uh, author of uh, Wipeout. Should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. We're trying to change <laughs> yeah. that. But 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 what um you know to, so you know, you're working with a, a pretty big name. uh... M- musician um yeah. w- w- what are are you learning from such a you know v- veteran of the music industry
4: you know he has so much knowledge um he's been a great mentor i i met Merle when i was 14 um of course living Central Coast. That's, uh, that's where I met him. And he, you know, he's such a great, great guy. He's very, super talented. Just you're around him for a few minutes and it's amazing how much you just want to soak it all in. <laughs> he's got so much talent and he's got so much knowledge and experience and it's, it's amazing. Um, but, you know, he's, he really, Gave me that experience to understand. Um, you know, he he produced um, my first CD, which was my mom and I at the time, um, and we were able to get uh, signed back then. We got that that uh, album released with D Town Records, so that was that was a great great time. And um, you know, each step of the way, he's always been there. I've had plenty of questions over the years, just needing a little bit of advice here and there, and it it really is It's key to have somebody uh, mentoring you no matter what the situation is, just to have somebody there to bounce off ideas and someone that you truly can trust. And he's done that for me every step of the way. And so, you know, he's helping me out with this, this new album of mine. And one of the really neat things is um, back in the 90s I had sang one of his songs um, that he wrote one of his originals um, with my mom, and it's called "Love Is All There Is." And we are actually going to be—I'm um, going to be putting that on this album of mine um, coming up. So I'm really excited about that. It's—it's it's fun. It's full circle for me. Cool.
2: Okay. So, um, you know, moral—it you know, has all kinds of different—you know, like. Delta blues and what uh, Barrel Ride is you know a little harder rock uh, song and and the new uh, Signals from Malibu is like psychedelic rock. It's like he he covers about every genre and is pretty much yeah the the, uh, very innovative uh and, and he he always he always makes them work um i just i i enjoy his, his CDs as well so uh, yeah but you know besides that you know, he he's very knowledgeable about uh you know, the music industry like what uh, you know uh, other aspects of uh you know the business has he taught you, like and,
4: you know, and, yeah. You know,
2: there's like the you know contracts, um, you know that he he got burned on, you know, really mm-hmm. taken advantage of when he was younger, and you know uh, when he's been on you know some other shows with me, you know he's uh, you know you know really made it imperative to you know, just discuss, you know, just don't lose c- control of, you know, what you've written. It's yours. And you know, So right. you know, uh, what are some other things that he's discussed with you about the business?
4: Uh, yeah, legalities for sure. He's very contract smart. Um, and so there's been times where I've needed him to, you know, give me some, Advice, um, looking over some things for me, and, you know, it's what's neat about him is he just takes the time to really thoroughly explain it. Um, contracts are hard for anybody to read, and uh, so especially, you know, you're not used to going through this all the time. He has so many years, and unfortunately, like you mentioned, he's been through some some rough roads as well and um regarding music business and just uh, you know you you want to make sure to protect yourself protect your rights um know what you're doing and and he has been um excellent at at helping me and continuing to help me you know to make sure that you know you, you take the time to write these things these are your your babies if you will and you want to make sure that uh you hang on to them
1: yeah, I have a question for you. I, I noticed that you you've mentioned that that uh, you're involved with the Christian rock songs, and and of course, I think that's the, the way Christian rock has come up in the last couple of decades is phenomenal. It's about time that they they put spirituality into the church, into the into the yeah. music in the yeah. church, because certainly what's what's been there has been. Rock of Ages just doesn't cut it anymore. Um, do you do you feel that, that that there is a certain amount of spiritual inspiration into some of the music that you that you're recording and that you're writing?
4: Uh, you know, for me, it's it's every bit of the inspiration for me. Um, you know, you'll you'll listen to some of these and go, okay, this is this is pop rock, and. You may not understand maybe the inspiration at the time based on those particular lyrics, but whatever I was going through, it's it's a way to say, you know what, let's let's take so through. It's you may at some point be knocked down enough, but you've got to find the strength, the faith, and the courage to get back up and say, okay, you know, you need to know when enough is enough and you've got to be strong and have faith and and know when it's time. So for me, it's always, um, that's always how it is. I'm actually working on uh, recording some of my Christian rock songs that I've written. So I am really, really excited about that part of it. And um, so on this album, I might have a mixture of your, you know, your pop rock songs mixed in with some Christian rock songs as well. So I think that's a little bit different. Um some people might, you know, might be a little surprised or maybe not, I don't know, but that's I'm I'm definitely excited about it.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, you grew up singing the 40s, 50s, 60s music which which of course yeah. I can relate to. I can't actually relate to a lot of the music that's out there today. But but I have found I I write um not music, but I write sometimes poetry and I do write and I I find that lots of times it's almost like a personal form of therapy, a way of of yeah. working y- your way through something with um a gift or a talent whichever, well, it's both. That, that enables you to verbalize, express, understand, diagnose, and embrace all at the same time. Correct. Wish I had written that down. That was good. Um, well, no, you'll have to play it back later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good. You have,
2: have to, to, to go to your, yeah. go to your own, <laughs> own archives to figure out what you just said.
1: Right. Yeah. No, that was good. Your new I, quote. Was, <laughs> <laughs> I channeled well, that um but 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 no the the element of of music has from the beginning of time been a form of um of getting into yourself spiritually speaking of putting yourself into an alpha theta place i mean if if you listen to the Gregorian chants, that's where your solfigio music started so that so that the music itself puts you into a level of consciousness that better enables you to reach in to touch into the spirit within so it's an amazing gift and tool that you've got there yeah thank you it's uh
4: you know i always say music is very very healing um there's something about music it's everybody has um specific emotions they're feeling at the time and whatever it is music will just Draw that you know, and draw that out and and it's been very healing it's healing for a lot of people um i I have performed a lot of um Christian music over the past gosh five plus years um and i I lead worship for um events around town there's you know we have um the Cancer Society where they need some some hope some inspiration and i love it absolutely love that and it's it's, like you're saying it definitely comes deeper um if you've ever heard someone critiquing a singer and they say you know you need to feel that song we need to know that you're you're feeling what you're singing when it's something like Uh this there's you know your heart's in the right place that nobody's even going to question it because when you're singing those words you're
1: pouring out your emotions oh yeah and oh uh, like, it's it's the best absolutely well i think in, in my opinion and i i preface this with my opinion there are two <laughs> kinds of musical performers there are the technicians and there are the artists the technicians can play the chords and play the music and sing the words but there's no soul in them the tech the 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 artists are the ones that are a living representation of the music that they're performing yeah and you know it's true it's beautiful that's true almost almost anybody can almost anybody can be a technician but but to put the art and the soul to it is a whole nother level of of amazing um material. I mean, if um I, I had a friend who was a concert pianist and she actually even played Carnegie Hall and she was a technician. Mm-hmm. She was perfect but there was no it didn't go any further than your ears, you know, it didn't mm-hmm. it didn't yeah. your spirit. And, yeah. and and then I've heard I've heard people that, that yeah, you I know, Ira Gershwin, um so many, um, so many. Uh, Barry Menlo. Um He, 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 he put, he puts. He's still here. Um, he puts his soul into whatever he does. I know that at one point he was giving yes. a, a dinner party a long time ago, and they came and got him for the to the phone, and it said it was an emergency, and it was the Coca Cola people, and they needed the the jingle he was supposed to have written for them, and he hadn't, and he went to the piano and. 15 minutes later it was he had uh, i I'd like to teach the world to sing.
0: Oh I my mean, goodness.
1: Now there's
0: some
4: talent. <laughs> that uh, man, wow. But 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 yeah, it's, he's an it's amazing a matter of, but
1: yes. It, it's a matter of turning your consciousness over to your higher consciousness that has mm-hmm. you know a link to everything and allowing that energy to flow through instead of trying to control and manipulate you allow, and it, it sounds to me that that's what you and your mom were doing, and it sounds to me that's what yeah. you're doing too. Yes, yeah, and it you
4: know it's very vulnerable as well because you if you're truly writing what you're feeling, it, it is vulnerable. You're you're giving everything um, in that time. Um, there's been plenty of artists where you know, and and they'll tell you, um, yeah, that I went through a really bad breakup and you can just feel that emotion or maybe it was the time that they met their spouse and this song is just the best love song you've ever heard and it's because they gave it their all that people can truly feel it when they're listening to it and uh, it's it's really it's, it's a beautiful thing.
1: Well, you work with the homeless shelters and nursing homes too, so you you must. Um, I do. You must be able to see the uh, the result of of what your words and your music is is giving to people. Yes, um,
4: you know it's. I think it's the best thing. Um, I've I've done plenty of of things where it feels, really, it's it's just a performance, and it yeah, it's fun and it's great and all. But it's not the same as going to the homeless shelter where these people are at their lowest points and, you know, they have children and and they don't have anywhere else to go. And my perspective was, well, you know, they can't afford to go spend money at a concert. Why don't we go to them and give them some music, not just music to hear, but music that can make them feel better? you know the situation that they're in and you know not looking at them with judgmental eyes looking at them with hey there's there are other things out there and there are things to look forward to and there is hope out there and and you know like I say touching touching someone with music when you're seeing them crying because it's a healing cry there's nothing else more beautiful than that and and feeling that and so for me that's why you know putting these the the Christian um rock songs out there it that means more to me than anything and I love having that diversity because um you know there's good songs all around and there's whether it's it's the pop or the the country or um you know Christian it mm-hmm. it really you can have that same sense in in it, any of those uh
2: it, genres. It, it uh, Jen, is there a uh like what, uh, s- certain tuning that is the most healing? Uh
4: tuning as in
2: like E
4: flat. Oh. <laughs> Um, I don't know. That would be a better question for an actual musician. <laughs> oh, okay.
2: because yeah, cause there, there are like, um, you know, Barbara, what's some, some of those like uh, that? Four thirty-two hertz, and you know, people. Uh, oh, well, that's the of music. Yeah,
1: yeah, like,
2: like that. That thing. I, I, I just wondered if there was like a, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, guitar, a
1: singular, a singular note.
2: Oh well, just what uh, you know, chord. I, I you know, I I I just wondered if you know, there's something, uh you know, that could could be taken to, um, you know, a homeless shelter like Jen's been talking about that, you know, mm-hmm. and play a certain song with, uh, you know, the guitar that has a more healing tone than.
1: Well, there are there are different notes that 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 do trigger different chakras, but mm-hmm. um, true the sol the solfeggio music um, is 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 not necessarily the notes as it is the frequency that okay, the music right. see, is being. That, see, uh, yeah.
2: that, that's why I don't uh, write for. Uh, Rolling Stone magazine.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you get your stuff
2: out there and I was just uh, was, I, yeah, I, I was just I was just try, uh, 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 you know uh that, that that was kind of like the question I was asking and just I just didn't know uh music uh terminology well enough to ask the question properly.
1: You know, what What I've noticed is
4: um, especially things like, well, of course, nursing homes, but things even in the the homeless shelters, it's music more or less um, that is identifiable. uh, And they could have been written 200 years ago. Those are the songs that have the most effect. And there's, you know, different chords, different notes that are played that will trigger certain um, emotions and feels, absolutely. But, um, you know, a lot of the hymns are, uh, everybody knows them. So you hear something like Amazing Grace, and, and that is bound to touch someone maybe, they, you know, went to church when they were little, and and that brings back family memories. Or maybe their grandparents took them, or you know, these people in the nursing homes. You know, they they were kids when they grew up and and heard those songs. And so it's it's really important to be in tune and aware of where you're going, um, so that you know. Choice choosing choosing the uh, the correct song is very important. I, I definitely wouldn't go in just sing any kind of songs that are out there today without them having any kind of knowledge about them because then they can't really truly
1: connect, um, you know, quite as well. Mhm. I I know I've I've been to a couple of um, concerts that that were not of a, of a religious nature and yet. They ended each one with "Let there be peace on earth," which I think is beautiful. So, Mm, um, are you familiar with that one, Mark? Yeah. Oh, okay. (laughs) I I, I didn't know (coughs) if a lot of people knew it. (laughs) You had to think. No, I I think I just think the words are beautiful. So, um, yeah, and and it's 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 not a religious. it it's not a religious piece but it's one that most people know and uh, you know mm-hmm. the wheels on the bus can be spiritually moving if it's, if there's enough laughter and joy in it so you of know, course it's just it's a matter of what you put into it what what people take away and yeah absolutely. every now and th- every now and then it's kind of like you say something that is just so beautiful you want to end right on that note you don't want to do any more <laughs> no no because at that point you feel good and and so does everybody else. Yeah, I think Art Linkletter this goes back a long time, but he used to have a show and and he would go out into the audience and and this was in the 40s in the 30s and 40s and and one of the things he did was say to the people in the audience um you know, where would you be where would you rather be right now than you than you are right now? And, you know, people would give all sorts of different answers. And one, one evening, um, he, he uh, uh, I think it was a, a man that stood up and, and he said, and, and, sir, where would you like to be tonight if you could be any place else on earth? And the man said, Hitler's funeral. And Linkletter looked in the camera and said, And we will never ask that question again. And Oh, it was my just goodness. It was so perfect an answer. There was no way it would ever be topped. It was just so perfect, and they never did. And oh, wow, and, you know, you, everybody has moments like that when everything just yeah. falls into place and, and magic happens, and, and you can't anticipate it. You never know when it's going to happen, but when it does, those are moments that you never, ever forget. Yes, absolutely
4: it they are the most unexplainable moments um like you said not anticipated and uh and you walk away with a different feeling than you've ever had
1: it's 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 i think in many ways when those moments hit it's because something resonated inside the artist performing that mm-hmm. changed their life forever and therefore their gift their talent their their ability to share has you know there's been a major shift and change and they're moving in new directions though probably with the same you know in the same venue but but there's just another level of understanding there that that is just amazing
4: yeah it's very true and it's funny because a lot of times you know you um you go out and you go and do do what you love and you think well you know um I'm hoping it's going to impact others, and you have the best hope. <laughs> and then, who gets <laughs> most impacted is yourself. <laughs> wow. yeah. Okay, I didn't expect that, but it's uh, it's pretty awesome.
2: And, uh, Absolutely. To, and to Jen, um, hopefully, some of the younger listeners in the audience. I've gotten some pointers, and'll get motivated to uh, go on and, you know, st- you know continue moving ahead with uh, you, know, you know practicing and moving towards forming their own bands after listening to the show tonight um you know what about uh you know, some of the um you know, o- older uh listeners we have who you know, ha- you know just haven't picked up uh you know their guitar or played the piano for a number of reasons for the you know, last five ten years you know w- w- what do you have to say to those uh listeners who You know, just kind of, you know, they've looked at the guitar case, collecting dust, and how do you get back into the swing of things?
4: Yeah, I, you know, it's, the way I look at it is, God has a plan for everyone, and that plan never expires. So, with life, um, you know, things happen, and and it's easy to be pulled in different directions but if you know if that's your desire and you know because your your heart is always tugging back at you to hey you see that over there you see that guitar sitting over there you see that uh, keyboard over there <laughs> set of drums just sitting there collecting dust um or a microphone just waiting to be you know have that that vocal connection again it is so important not to let that go. That, you know, that's that's why we're here. Uh, we have so many things. It's it's so worth to start it again because it doesn't matter. Age has no limitation, and there, it's never too late to start again. And hopefully if there's if there is somebody listening thinking, "You know what i I had my chance, I let it go, that's not the case. You can start it back up, and it's amazing if you don't limit yourself what you can do
2: yeah good good observation don't don't limit yourself
4: no don't think- limit yourself and don't don't ever give up.
1: It's, it can be well, easy you know, to do, and even you know, I, I was I was going to say I was going to say you don't even have to be good; you just have to enjoy it. Oh yeah, you know that, I because mean, that that's thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I did. T- I'm tone deaf, and when I was in high school, I I joined the church choir, and um, because and, they had to take me because we belonged to the church. And they stuck me next to the loudest singer, um, oh. <laughs> you know, be, because they were pretty sure she could out shout me. And oh, and I think okay. she probably always did. But but I'll mm-hmm. tell you something. I came away from every choir practice so full of joy. It was unbelievable. It was just amazing mm-hmm. to sound what my voice was. Not a part of. I was. My voice was definitely shouted out. But, I mean, but 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 I felt a part of it. <laughs> I, I just, <laughs> you know,
4: <laughs> it is because it, again, it comes from it comes from the heart, and you're truly enjoying yourself. Um oh, we'll, yeah. You know, be around people at the church qui- that are afraid to sing out. You know, God doesn't care oh. what you sound like. But he's not hearing not that at He's all. hearing what's coming from your heart And that's what matters
1: But it's the same with painting It's the same with writing mm-hmm. You know, you don't have to be Van Gogh or Picasso If you get joy out of dry, drawing or painting uh, or, or writing poetry Even if it doesn't rhyme If it mm-hmm. touches something in your spirit And you have a wonderful time doing it That's all that counts
0: yeah, don't quit your again day job and try me, to live
1: on it either. You know,
4: <laughs> but it it's also comes down to being different, and don't you know, don't try to shoot for being another Picasso. Be yourself, and if that's how you draw, let's say that's that's your art form, then that's what you embrace. And
1: there was a it'll, woman. It'll
4: feel that that joy.
1: There was a woman. Um, in World War II, and they did a movie about her, and it was the amazing Mrs. Something, and Meryl Streep played the ro- the leading role, and it's a true story. This woman couldn't sing worth a damn, but she gave concerts, and people loved her, and she she it, she screeched. It was she was terrible, and yet everybody loved her because she loved what she was doing, and. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget what the title of it was, but Meryl Streep played the, the lead role. And, I mean, they did. she did concerts, she did, and, and, you know, people would be saying, oh, you know, shut up, you don't sound good and whatever, and people would, you know, quiet everybody else down. She just loved what she did. And people yeah, loved I- her because she loved what she did. So, you know, that's, 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 that's not, not going to happen to everybody, I might add, but, but it's a great example of I man and it and holidays. it's
4: a little bit tough these days, isn't it? <laughs> With oh, all geez, these yes. shows out there. <laughs> oh my gosh.
1: But, but yeah, it's but, just doing
4: but, it for the right reasons makes all the difference.
1: Yeah, and and you know, if you know, now frankly, I'm not going to sing for anybody, but but <laughs> um you you know and and I would definitely not try to make a living at it. But you know, put it in perspective. Do what gives you joy and pleasure. It it extends your life. It, you live longer. There's a there's a balance oh, to yeah. that. You know, you're a happy person. Right. Well, you're here to enjoy life. That's that's a
4: whole. You know, you're not here to to wish that you always did something. It's uh, and everybody it's it's something else. You know, for you guys, it, it might be doing exactly what you're doing, and maybe you didn't do it all your life, but you're doing it now, and you love it, and that's, that's the point, is doing something that you love.
1: Yeah, that's you know, true. You, you
4: inspire others. When you do that, It's uh, you inspire yourself without even realizing it, and you inspire others around you. And we do well, need if more people, of that.
1: If people aren't inspired by the fact that Mark and I take two hours quite a few times a week often to sit and talk to people, I mean... What could be more fun than that? And and yeah. um, we we're not getting rich, but we are having fun, and that's the important thing.
2: Yeah, that's great. I'll, I'll look,
1: and it's not I'll always look. about the money. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh,
2: there, there's a self satisfaction that, yeah, uh, like we've spoken about th- things falling into place things work and you know, you're you're reaching other you know the listeners with um hope something thought provoking, something that they can use to help them to get yeah. through the evening or tomorrow or you know, maybe some point down the road they'll uh, you know, actually think that um they you know actually learn something from us
3: Well
1: I learned something from every show we do yeah so so if nobody else gets anything that's that's okay <laughs>
4: well, I'm, <laughs> I'm I'm I, pretty sure they get something from everything it's there's so much to be uh you know so much to learn out there it's it's really quite interesting
2: okay hey, uh Jen, Jen, we have uh i don't know, two three minutes left it, are there any uh, websites you want to give out, uh, anything, you, 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 know, uh, you know, tell, tell people that uh, they can listen to, um, you know, so through on YouTube? You know, is, is there, you
1: know, just
2: yeah. a, a, a way at anything you want to?
4: Sure, discuss. sure, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, for my song So Through, and I would I would love it for uh, your listeners to take a listen, and I would absolutely love the feedback. You know, I'm I'm growing just like everybody else in this, and um, always always love to hear feedback. But uh, you can hear So Through on iTunes, Spotify, uh, Amazon Music, Pandora, um, Google Play. So there's there's lots of different ways to hear that. Um, I am on Facebook as well. It is um, facebook.com forward slash Jen Clark songs. And um, I do have a website with lots of information. <laughs> it is, um, it's Reverb Nation. Um, that's R-E-V-E-R-B-N-A-T-I-O-N.com. And it's forward slash Jennifer Clark. Um, There you'll actually be able to listen to some of my other songs.
2: Cool. All right. We are down to about a minute. So you're uh, hoping to have your CD out at the start of the new year.
4: Correct. Yes.
2: Okay. All right. Yep, that
4: is what I'm shooting for. Okay,
2: and you know, we want to wish you best of luck with that. Uh, hope, I mean, come, come back and tell us what it's like uh, being at the Tiki Lounge during a filming. Oh, yeah. I, I have to do that at, so, <laughs> at some point. We'll oh, yes, yeah. absolutely.
1: We've got to say goodnight, Mark.
2: Okay. Uh, goodnight. Thank uh, Good, good, good night, Barbara, and good night, Jen. T- thank you for the great show, and we will be in touch. Thank
4: Absolutely. you, guys.
2: I Good night it.
1: now. Good night.